Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Today's episode features an excerpt of a BBCon 2021 session focused on cybersecurity best practices, led by BlackBot experts Ashley Wyand and Meredith Smiley. Click on the links in the show notes to access more resources to help you establish best practices within your organization. Enjoy the episode. My name is Ashley Wyand, and we are here today to talk to you about Cybersecurity 101 and give you some general best practices. Uh, I am joined today by Meredith Smiley, um, who will be helping us talk through some of these best practices. Uh, again, my name is Ashley Wyand. I'm the manager of information security, um, specifically the cybersecurity governance and customer trust team here at BlackBot. I've been here about three years, and my team runs um, customer inquiries, right? Any questionnaires things of that nature that you guys have, anything customer facing, as well as as some of our governance policies and things of that nature. Meredith, you want to give yourself a quick intro? Yeah, I'd love to. Hi, folks. Uh, I'm Meredith Smiley. I run uh, CyberAware, which is our BlackBot security awareness and education program. Uh, I have been with the company for almost six months now. Um, but have spent the past four years in the cybersecurity field. So I'm really excited to be here with you. Awesome. Thanks. Um, So let's start with what cybersecurity really is, right? So cybersecurity really refers to the body of technologies, processes, practices designed to protect different networks, devices, programs, and data from attack, damage, or unauthorized access. So it's really basically the set of processes and technologies to secure your data, to prevent things from unauthorized access, and to prevent from attacks. And those can be malicious or non-malicious, right? Sometimes those can just be an accidental um, oversharing of information or things of that nature. Um, So that's really what we're talking about here today. So let's talk a little bit about the cybersecurity threat landscape. So 76% of organizations overall are targeted by phishing campaigns. Additionally, 85% of the breaches that happen um, involve some sort of human element. So what that means is that some sort of interaction from a human has caused or basically that's what kicked off that that event, right? Some sort of either accidental or clicking a link or something along those lines. Um, And then 92% is the percentage of malware or malicious software that is spread via email. So that's those phishing attacks that you always hear about. They're basically sending malicious software to your systems. Um, So that's why we have to be cognizant and cautious of those. Now, specifically, let's talk about cybersecurity impact to the social good community, right? That's what you guys all are. This is what you care about. So as it relates to vulnerabilities, more than 70% of nonprofit organizations have never conducted a single vulnerability assessment or checked for any sort of risk exposure. Uh, Additionally, strategy is important. You have to have a plan and a strategy in place for your cybersecurity program. And unfortunately, more than 80% of nonprofits don't have a strategy to deal with cyber attacks. So if and when something happens, they don't know how to handle it. Now we're going to jump over to Meredith to talk to you a little bit about the threat landscape. Meredith? Thanks, Ashley. All right. So to better understand how to protect yourself, you first have to understand what we're all up against all day, every day. So let's jump right in. 
Social engineering, as Ashley just shared, is the number one method of compromising a person or a company's confidential information. Social engineers have gotten very good at learning more about their targets, and social media has very much enabled that. The bad guys are using what they find to get all confidential information with ease. There are various different types of social engineering, and hopefully these tactics sound familiar to you, but let's break them down. Phishing. So no, I'm not talking about going to a stream to catch a fish. I'm talking about an email form of deception used for malicious intent. The world of phishing has matured significantly since the days of emails from Nigerian princes. And these days, phishing emails are incredibly difficult to detect. They replicate authentic brands. They use seemingly legitimate URLs and no longer include a sense of urgency or a blatant request for money. These days, phishing emails fit right into the construct of a normal email that you would receive. Vishing. Vishing uses phone calls or voicemails for a similar art of deception. So imagine that you get a phone call from your bank saying that there's been fraudulent activity on your account. Probably gets your attention, right? Next, they ask you to verify yourself before reviewing the activity. And they ask you for your social security number and your address. That's all that a bad guy really needs to compromise your identity. And because you were so concerned that there might be fraud on your account, you willingly gave that information over the phone. Vishing has been on the rise in recent years and is much more mature and deceptive than just like a general spam call. So the final category here is smishing. You're probably seeing a theme, um, but smishing uses SMS, what those of us in the normal world call texting, to conduct fraudulent activity. And um, this is kind of embarrassing, but I have a personal example here. Pre-pandemic, my husband and I were trying to get tickets to a sold-out concert, and we found tickets for sale on Craigslist. The ad on Craigslist specifically said to text the number to make the transaction to buy the tickets. So we texted the number and they said to send money via Apple Pay using an email address, which is something that we had never done before. And that should have been our first clue. We asked about Venmo and Zelle, um, but they didn't have that capability. We really wanted to go to that concert. So we attempted to go through with the payment only to get stopped by Apple Pay. It turns out that the email had been confirmed as fraudulent. So thanks to Apple Pay, right? It saved us some money. But because it took direct advantage of something that we really wanted to do, we were more open to making a transaction in a way that we really had never done before. Bottom line, social engineering takes advantage of people going about their usual day and is incredibly successful when they encounter someone who doesn't know what to look out for or is complacent or, like my husband and I, really want something. So we must always be vigilant. So the next type of threat is password cracking. How many of you use the same password across multiple accounts? I bet the majority, right? Passwords are a major weakness that bad guys like to prey on by using various password cracking methods. So let's review all the different ways that they can be successful. First off, we have brute force. This is a computational approach to password cracking in which a bad guy finds an account it wants to compromise and gets to work using a hacking algorithm 
that allows them to quickly detect simple alphanumeric password combinations. If your password is all lowercase and only eight characters, this method can be successful within minutes. Next up, we have a dictionary attack. This is very similar to a brute force attack in that it uses an algorithm. That algorithm is specifically intended to detect dictionary words. From there, if you have added in any numbers or special characters, it makes the password a lot more simple to guess. Lastly, we have credential mining. This can be done in several different ways, but most commonly, bad guys can either use the passwords that they were able to crack using brute force or a dictionary attack, or even account credentials that they purchased on the dark web, and check where else you may have used that same password. This then allows them to get into any account where the password is the same. Sadly, these days, it's best to assume that your password has been compromised at some point. And this is why it's so critical to not reuse passwords. Finally, let's talk about remote work. The world has changed significantly over the past almost two years. In a matter of a month, the vast majority of global workers were working remotely, which presented a whole new world of threats and opportunities to the landscape. To be clear, all of these threats existed before the pandemic. They've just been exploited since our mass move to remote work. The first is joining insecure Wi-Fi. If you're at a coffee shop trying to get work done and they don't have secure Wi-Fi, what do you do? I hope you use your personal hotspot or just leave. By joining an insecure Wi-Fi connection, you're essentially opening up the opportunity for anyone else on that same connection to get access to your online activity. That means that if you go to a website and you enter your account information, including a username and a password, they can access that. The next is hardware protection. With people working remotely, there are several threats within this bucket. The first is not locking your computer. This applies at home as much as the coffee shop or in the office. Unlock computers literally give the bad guys a free pass to your entire computer. They can steal it or simply conduct bad activity all without you being the wiser. There's also the idea of protecting your home Wi-Fi network and router. Every Wi-Fi when installed comes with a stock network name and password from your provider. Stock credentials are usually on file somewhere or are even printed and pasted on the router themselves. So that means that it could be accessible. Okay. Now that we are all more deeply aware of the threat landscape and hopefully a little bit more motivated to protect ourselves, let's talk about what you can do. So thinking back to social engineering, phishing, vishing, and smishing, say that three times fast, attempts are getting more and more sophisticated by the day. So we have to stay vigilant. If you receive an email, phone call, or a voicemail, that feels odd, it probably is. Even if the origin of the contact seems authentic, a colleague, a friend, your bank, whomever, if the language is abnormal, or if they're asking you for confidential information, do not engage. 
the best course of action here is to validate separately. So back to the example of getting a phone call from your bank saying that they've detected fraud activity on your account, hang up and call the number on the back of your credit card or debit card and speak with someone through that number to confirm that it was your actual bank that called you. Next, on the password front, do not reuse passwords. I cannot stress this enough. Remember, it's likely that one of your passwords has been compromised at some point. So you don't want to fall victim to credential mining. Ensure your passwords are long and complex. So back to the example that it only takes minutes to crack an eight character all lowercase password. If you were to take that same password and make it 12 characters, even still all lowercase, it takes weeks. If you add one uppercase letter, it could take up to five years. Also, where possible, make sure you're using multi-factor authentication. Multi-factor authentication requires more than one way to identify yourself to authenticate for an account. If you have a phone, which most all of us do these days, it's likely that you're using multi-factor authentication to access it. Phones are now commonly using biometrics, like your thumbprint or your face, to access and validate you are who you are, in addition to your passcode. Multi-factor authentication also comes in the form of a security question or a one-time passcode. But bottom line, where it's available to you, use it. Also, use secure Wi-Fi. This applies when out and about or at home. So I would ensure the following. If you're in a place that doesn't have secure Wi-Fi, like I mentioned earlier, use your phone as a hotspot to access the internet. Or what I often do is go and ask somebody if there is an available secured Wi-Fi network. Oftentimes there is, they just don't always give that out to guests. Otherwise, don't browse anywhere that you wouldn't want anyone else to see. Also, change the password on your home Wi-Fi system and make it personal and unique to you. Don't share it with anybody unless they're a visitor in your home. Lastly, lock your devices. In this remote world, who knows who could either advertently or inadvertently do something malicious on your computer. All it takes is a child accidentally clicking on a phishing link on your computer to infect it. All right, so let's talk about how to protect your company. While all the previous advice applies within a company environment as well, it goes a step further when you talk about possibly having access to data other than your own. So back to passwords, ensure that you enforce strong passwords across your systems. Links should be a minimum of 10 to 12 characters and they should be complex. Next, develop a plan. Ashley alluded to this earlier, right? 80% of nonprofit companies don't have a plan in case of a cybersecurity attack. So what happens if there is a breach? What would you do? Discuss the possibility of a breach with your leadership teams and have a plan in place if the worst case scenario were to happen. Next up, my personal favorite, train your staff. Your staff is your first line of defense from threats that could impact your company. So remember, again, at the beginning, Ashley shared 85% of breaches involve a human element. So make sure that your staff understands the threat landscape and how to protect themselves and your company from a breach and their role in the matter. 
To start, we recommend annual security training for everyone, in addition to specific education around the threats of phishing. Implement policies. So this is Ashley's specialty, but I'm here to tell you that policies are critical to shaping a security posture and culture within your company. Policies set clear security expectations and are easily digestible to your organization. They can include anything from password requirements, like we talked about earlier, to data management, and ensure that any expectations you implement are either measurable and or enforceable. Lastly, restrict access. Inevitably, companies have access to data, and that data can be used against them. Um, a colleague of mine once did a talk called Data, the New Currency. And that's the truth. Data is incredibly valuable these days. The quickest and most efficient way to protect your data is to restrict access to only those individuals that need it to do their job. 